0: right, we are back. Uh, That was really fun, going down to Hollywood for Radio Parallax. Uh, Sometimes entertainment is important to all of us, and sometimes some of these figures in the entertainment field, they just actually transcend mere entertainment, which makes them perfectly legitimate subjects for a public affairs show. We can think of no better example of entertainment transcending public affairs with this item, the Sacramento Bee's investigation of the Carissa Carpenter fiasco in this little city of Dixon has resulted in indictments by the Sacramento-based U.S. Attorney Benjamin Wagner's office. I'm going to take our hat off to the Sacramento Bee, reporters Sam Stanton and Marjorie Lundstrom, and I presume others, who looked into this little sordid episode. To unveil that the city officials in Dixon had bought into Carissa Carpenter's notion that a $2.8 billion Hollywood studio was going to be built out in our local cow pastures. And doggone it, it appears that $5 million in seed money for this project has gone missing. The nine-page federal grand jury indictment unsealed last Thursday said that Carpenter falsely represented to investors that all, or substantially all, of their investment would be used to fund the studio project. In truth, and in fact, Carpenter did not use all, or substantially all, of the investor money to fund the construction of the radio project. Instead, Carpenter used money from investors for her own personal expenses and to support her extravagant lifestyle. We'll continue to follow this story. And although we like to do obituaries in this program from time to time, we are way backlogged in that department, Are going and therefore are probably going to devote separate internet-only versions of Radio Parallax to that topic. But there's one I think we just have to touch on today. The passing of Joan Quigley, astrologer to the Reagans. Yours truly happens to have a copy in his right hand of What Does Joan Say? My Seven Years as White House Astrologer to Nancy and Ronald Reagan by Joan Quigley. And I think we may find some quotes from it for our internet uh, version of this program. But today I want to quote from her obituary by David Coker in the Los Angeles Times. Joan Quigley was a well-known astrologer with books published and several appearances on national television when she was asked in 1981 to take on the leader of the free world as a client in secret. In Nancy Reagan's memoir, My Turn, the former first lady said she called Quigley in the aftermath of an assassination attempt on the president. I'm scared every time he leaves the house, she told Quigley, seeking advice on the timing of Ronald Reagan's comings and goings. Quigley said later that over the next seven years, she issued guidance for pay that went far beyond mundane scheduling to matters of diplomacy, Cold War politics, and even the timing of the president's cancer surgery. Nancy Reagan downplayed Quigley's influence when the news that the first family had an astrologer was met with a firestorm of criticism and jokes, which led to the scorned astrologer striking back. Now, Nancy Reagan's consultation with an astrologer were first revealed by former White House Chief of Staff Donald Reagan, who said in his 1988 book, For the Record, that the president's schedule and therefore his life and the most important business of the American nation was largely under the control of the First Lady's astrologer. In her book, Quigley said, I was responsible for timing all press conferences, most speeches, the State of the Union addresses, and landings and takeoffs of Air Force One, adding, I picked the time of Ronald Reagan's debate with Carter and the two debates with Walter Mondale, all extended trips abroad, as well as the shorter trips and one-day excursions. Quickly claimed she only spoke to the president once, briefly, at a 1985 state dinner, but she said on CBS this morning in 1990 that through Nancy, I really had a direct line to the president. And we'll have more to say about that in another program. But, uh, I think what we said so far speaks volumes. We noted on last week's program that we were waiting, presumably, for NASA to issue some photographs taken from Mars of its near encounter with Comet Sighting Spring. And it turns out that, sadly, due to technical reasons, none of the spacecraft, either orbiting or on the Martian surface, were able to capture what surely was a meteor storm as the comet whizzed past the red planet very closely closer than the moon is to the earth it's highly probable that had astronauts been on the martian surface they would have been greeted with an absolutely stunning spectacle of thousands maybe hundreds of thousands of meteors crashing into the atmosphere of mars every hour and we haven't been shy about criticizing the history of the medical profession when it deserves it on this program and uh sadly we have one more example to cite in the review in New Scientist magazine of the book, Cool, How Air Conditioning Changed Everything by Salvatore Basile, we have the following. Above all, cool is about institutional boneheadedness. Bacille's targets are predictable, but they have only themselves to blame. Just what were late 19th century doctors thinking when they doled out advice on tolerating heat and cold? Theater goers, overheated by the crowds, found themselves struggling to breathe as hundreds of gas jet lights gobbled up what little oxygen was left in the auditorium. Nonetheless, Basil recounts, woolen and flannel undergarments were sternly recommended for the summertime, and the health profession advised perspiration-drenched people never to remedy the situation by removing any clothing since, quote, internal congestion of the abdominal organs and other evils might result, unquote. According to U.S. Medical Advice of the Day, the best way to endure heat is to drink as little as possible. Of course, we would note that apparently it is a tradition in China to this day to studiously avoid cold drinks in the hot weather. The Chinese believe that the way to deal with overheating is to drink plenty of hot water. And we haven't been shy about criticizing the government for this insane drug war, which was started by Richard Nixon and continues to squander vast sums of money and resources, not only in America but in other countries. The story of the missing 43 students who were apparently turned over to narco-traficantes and murdered is a truly horrible story. But what seems to be lost in the shuffle is the fact that the mayor of the town, which basically ordered the demise of these students, was put in place by the drug cartels themselves. This was a drug-appointed mayor. and shows, I think, how bad things are south of the border. This misguided drug war has apparently claimed 80,000 Mexican lives. By comparison, we lost basically half of that over the extent of the entire Vietnam War. This reminds us we really do need to bring Robert Parry back on in this program to talk about what he knows about the international drug trade, and perhaps Dr. Peter Dale Scott as well. In fact, with any luck, we'll be able to bring an excerpt of an interview with Dr. Scott to you on next week's program. He has a new book out which addresses this very topic. All right, something else we've been pretty hard on this program is idiots who like to deny that evolution... Has taken place here on Earth. Some years back, we tracked down Professor Donald Prothro to talk about his article, which was a cover story on New Scientist titled "What Missing Link?" And if you never heard it the first time, we suggest you go to our archives at Radioparallax.com and pull it up. Prothro spelled P-R-O-T-H-E-R-O, but we're happy to note there are even fewer missing links in the evolutionary record now with the discovery that we've got a pretty good idea how it is that whales transition from land animals to the sea in fact there's a new book out about this topic titled The Walking Whales From Land to Water in 8 Million Years by J.M.H. Hans Thewissey, University of California Press writing about this in New Scientist the editors noted that whales evolved from cat-sized terrestrial hooved mammals according to evolutionary biology but the question of how tiny deer-like creatures could morph into such radically different leviathons has provoked gleeful ridicule from creationists, especially because until the 1990s there were so few intermediate fossils. Well, a decade later, spectacular finds had bridged that gap so convincingly that whales now stand as one of the best documented fossil transitions, literally a textbook case of evolution in action. And truthfully, we're probably not going to read that book, but you might want to, dear listener. Something else we haven't hit on too hard, but probably ought to, sad to note, is Bill Maher. I want to thank Joseph for forwarding an email to me of Mr. Bill Maher defending Israel. He apparently had a very conservative guest on the program defending Israel's policies, and amazingly, Bill Maher didn't disagree with any of them. Among the points made... One, the Palestinians don't have the moral high ground. Two, the death of innocents in Palestine is their fault for firing rockets at Israel in the first place. Three, Hamas would kill all Israelis if they could. But even though Israel does have the ability to kill, they do not. Four, Israel must win every single military conflict in order to survive. Like six and seven, Israelis are right to consider threats to their lives as more important than world opinion. And seven, Palestinians seem to have choosing to be angry refugees as a way of life. He's also noted in other instances that while many Muslims oppose terrorist groups like the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria, polls show that about 20% of believers throughout the world admit they share the militants' extremist beliefs. After I sent that around, I'm grateful for Pablo sending me back another clip of Bill Maher getting his head handed to him by Glenn Greenwald. And I suggest your listener, you go onto YouTube or on the web somewhere and pull that up and listen to it. Glenn Greenwald really does hand him his head. The title of the clip is Bill Maher shredded by Glenn Greenwald on U.S. intervention. And I got to say, I'm just getting tired of the folks that are trying to point out there's just something wrong with Islam. It's all all just, you know, it's all a bunch of extremists. And I have to add to Jews and Christians, have you read the Bible lately? In case you haven't, I'm just going to pull a few excerpts out. It'll be up to you to decide whether Jews and Christians are religions based on crazy extremism. Let's go back to the book of Numbers, where the Lord commands the men of Israel to slay the Midianites. And this they do with gusto, killing every man, plundering and pillaging, and taking for slaves all the women and children. You should note that when they returned to camp, Moses was not pleased. He asked them, have you allowed all the women to live? Kill every male among the little ones, and, and kill every woman who has known a man by sleeping with him. But all the young girls who have not known a man by sleeping with him, keep them alive for, me, for yourselves. Nice. How about this from Deuteronomy? If someone has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey his father and mother, who does not heed them when they discipline him, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him to the elders of the town. They shall say to the elders of the town, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He's a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men shall stone him to death. And how about the book of Joshua? It opens up with a religious cleansing in the promised land. After 40 years in the wilderness, the people of Israel have become a mobile attack force of thousands of zealots willing to massacre almost anyone at God's behest. And of course, they better in this. God left an extensive and explicit list of the atrocities he'll inflict on anyone who doesn't follow his orders. Note, Jericho is the most famous of Israel's many bloody conquests, but it is otherwise typical. Israel attacked it, not the other way around. In fact, Jericho's people were cowering behind its walls. The city was destroyed. All of its inhabitants were butchered. Then the people of Israel divided up its booty and moved on. This is held to be the sacred and justified behavior by Jew and Christian alike who holds the Bible up as the holy book. Now, when Islam came along it also accepted the Bible as, as a holy book, But before we go overboard and pointing the fingers at some Islamic excesses over the years and currently, shouldn't we start back at the beginning? That's all I'm going to say about that today. I don't want to end on a downer, so let's, let's do something from science, which is our favorite upper topic, and close with Discover Magazine's 20 Things You Didn't Know About Galaxies from the Current Issue. They note number 15 that our Milky Way galaxy rotates at about 250 kilometers per second. That's about 560,000 miles an hour. Yeah, a million miles in two hours. Our galaxy completes a full revolution about every 200 million years, meaning that one galactic revolution ago, dinosaurs ruled the Earth. There's a new study out now showing that perhaps half the stars in the universe are not part of galaxies. They've been flung out of the galaxies they started in. We're going to follow up on that in the weeks to come. But we are flat out of time. Happy birthday to Norman Lloyd and thank you to Corey Burton for speaking with us again. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. This program was produced by Edward McMillan who also does the editing. I'm Douglas Everett. We'll see you next week at the same time.